Hello and welcome to a Friday, May 8th, 2020, We're Still Here edition of On Iowa Politics. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Aaron Murphy, the Newspaper Steakhouse and Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James, and good to still be here. <laughs> and Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, the return of the big lug, Chet Culver, remember him, uh, is back in the news, a uh, name that we haven't uh, heard or seen much since 2010 when he lost his bid for re-election as governor. Uh, he has been mentioned as a possible candidate for this office or that office, but that's about all. Now he's resurfaced in a lengthy letter he wrote to Governor Kim Reynolds questioning her administration's interpretation of unemployment benefits saying that packing plant workers who refuse to go back to their jobs because they fear COVID-19 could be denied benefits. And so, Todd, what should we make of Culver's return? Has he served his political exile and now primed for a return to the political sphere? Yeah, that's that's questionable. Uh, I, You know, I think, that, I think you know, it's, sometimes stuff is what it seems to be. I think he's genuinely unhappy with this Reynolds administration line that, you know, if you don't go back to work, then you're going to lose your unemployment benefits. Even if you're, you know, if you're worried about going back to the workplace and and contracting the coronavirus. So I think he's got a legitimate beef. And I think a lot of others have raised that same, uh, that same issue. Well, you know, that said, he's a politician and they, you know, you're always a politician once you're a politician, I think. And I suppose there's, you know, a thought in the corner of his mind somewhere that if he weighs in on some of these issues, that maybe he will raise his visibility for, for something. Although at this point, when you look at the landscape, I'm not sure, you know, what, where, what he would run for, I guess, you know, maybe there's a governor's election in a couple of years, but I mean, the congressional seat where he lives is held by a Democrat and it's, I don't know where he would fit in, but yeah, I suppose, it's, it's kind of a combination of he thinks this is a lousy policy and, hey, I'm I'm Chet, remember me kind of thing. So it's a little of both, I suppose. Well, there's a senatorial election coming up in uh, 2022. That's true. And I think he knows someone that, you know, he used to, a member of his family used to hold that seat. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he's maybe he's interested in, in, uh, in putting, putting a culver back in the Senate. There you go. Aaron, um, there's a gubernatorial election in a couple of years, and uh, at this point, Democrats don't seem to have any obvious challenger to Governor Kim Reynolds. Um, Whether or not Culver is considering a comeback, do Democrats need somebody out there to be sort of calling out Reynolds, softening her up for 2022, and and might Culver sort of fill that role um, of, you know, being the the counterweight to Kim Reynolds? I'm sure they'll eventually want that. I I think in the time being, the state party is probably comfortable filling that role and has been. Um, The the Iowa Democratic Party had had a statement um, um, earlier this week that was critical of some of the governor's policies. I, I expect that to be the party to be the voice for the time being. Um, I, I doubt they feel they're in a rush to have um, 
you know, one person um, carrying that mantle. Um, and, and really that person doesn't exist anyways, right now, anyways, I, I mean, the, the elected officials are going to be a little more careful, um, especially at a time like this, um, not that they won't be critical, but, you know, Abby Finkenauer and Dave Loebsack and Cindy Axney, they're, they're not going to go hypercritical of, of the governor, um, as fellow elected officials, um, and at the state level, you have Rob Sand. Um, he's come close, I guess you could say. He's he's audited some um, programs, including Medicaid. He's he he published recently a letter that um, he he essentially, um, without being asked for it, to my knowledge, anyways. Um, published uh, his interpretation of HIPAA, um, federal healthcare privacy law, um, after there seemed to be some debate over um, whether uh, some public health information related to the coronavirus could be shielded by HIPAA. And he kind of wrote his own um, interpretation that that wasn't the case. Um, so there's a little bit of that going on out there, but, uh, but I think, it, you know, there's, I don't get a sense that there's a rush to have anyone as the sort of mantle carrier uh, until we get at least past this fall's uh, election. Um, you get into next year um, and that uh, 2022 cycle starts, then there might be a little more uh, craving for that. But I think the party's fine filling that role for now. Speaking of uh, upcoming elections, um, a recent poll found that both President Donald Trump and Senator Joni Ernst uh, their numbers are dropping among Iowa voters. Uh, public policy polling found that Trump, who carried Iowa by nearly 10 percentage points in 2016, would top Joe Biden by just two points in the election if the election were held today. Um, and Ernst, who won 24 in 2014 by about uh, I think it was four percentage points, is uh, leading ter- Democrat Teresa Greenfield by just 1.43 percent to 42 percent. Um, and on the job approval rating, her approval rating was uh, 37% and 43% were disapproving of her job performance. Uh, Aaron, uh, sounds like Ernst is the one who will be squealing in November. <laughs> um, I, You know, I, this is from the start. I think everyone uh, and both sides uh, have acknowledged that this is going to be a competitive race. Um, I, it, it's going to be closer. It's at least going to start out that way. Um, and it's going to get a lot of a national attention because not only is it going to be a close and important race in Iowa, it's going to be a race that uh, factors um, by all indications into the um, overall race for uh, control of the U S Senate. Um, one of the few seats that could help tip that balance uh, one way or the other. So um this is just more evidence of that, that this thing is going to start um, with a close uh, race. And um, in, a, in just a little less than a month, we'll know who the Democratic nominee is um, after the June 2nd primary. And, and um, this race will obviously really heat up then. And, and uh, um, it's going to be an interesting one to follow. But yeah, all, all those things you listed just kind of more evidence of what we've suspected 
uh, for a long time that this is going to be a close and, and competitive race. Uh, 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 and the incumbent has, has Joni Ernst has a very real challenge on her hands. Is there any one thing that um, has changed Iowans' opinions of Joni Ernst, or is it just sort of everything? Uh, I mean, President Trump, the issues. Uh... Yeah, I, you know, that's a really good question. And and, and I'll. Thank you, I'll Dr. Cop- Dottie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, PTSD. Um, um, and, and I, I, I will preface my answer by saying that this isn't something that I've, um, asked people about. So this isn't anything based on expertise. It's just my initial reaction, um, uh, to the question. Uh, but off the top of my head, the one thing that does jump out is, is the president. Um, and, you know, we, we've been living in an ever increasingly um, partisan political divide, and, and that has certainly uh, grown even wider in the six years Joni Ernst has been in the Senate. So, um, you know, that's a thing. Democrats voting for Republicans um, is uh, growing uh, rarer and rarer. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think um, to whatever degree Trump is seen favorably or not. Here in Iowa, will will definitely have an impact on uh, Joni Ernst and her race as well, and 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 you know that's the one big change over the last uh, three or four years. Mm-hmm. Todd, um, Senator Ernst, who, as many people, or at least those of us in the newspaper business, remember, broke with tradition in 2014 by not meeting with newspaper editorial boards and seeking their endorsements. Now she's backing a measure that to include local media in businesses eligible for coronavirus relief funds. Um, is, is that good policy or is this a election year change of heart? Well, you know, I think it's sort of an extension of her general support during this pandemic for assistance to Iowa businesses. So I suppose, you know, you look at the, the landscape and, and you know, newspapers and TV and radio or, you know, they employ people and they're important, you know, institutions and communities informing folks of what's going on with the pandemic. So in that way, it's, it's probably some of both. It's an election year, so it doesn't hurt to, you know, support Iowa businesses. And also she maybe sees the, from a policy standpoint, she sees media during this, during this time as being an important industry. So uh, I don't think she'll be racing back to meet with our editorial board because uh, skipping editorial board meetings is a sort of pays double. On the one hand, you don't have to sit down with folks for an hour without a net and, and, you know, answer all sorts of questions, probably videotaped, you know, with a chance of making a mistake. And also then when you inevitably have to endorse her opponent because she wouldn't meet with you, then they can bash you for being a bunch of libs. So it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a two for one for a candidate. So this idea of uh, the government uh, providing coronavirus relief funds for news media outlets, uh, is this a good policy or is this just one of those where you say, Oh, what could go wrong with that? Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a debate raging over this. And I think probably the debate gets settled by the fact that, Without some sort of assistance, there are going to be media operations 
that, that, you know, go out of business. And, you know, depending on how long this economic downturn lasts. So given the choice of swallowing hard and taking some government assistance versus going belly up and leaving communities without a source of information, not only on the coronavirus, but on what their local governments are doing and, and all the things that newspapers cover, I think, you know, it's a tough choice, but this is a time of tough choices. And, and so I think outlets are making the decision to, to do something that probably, you know, 20 years ago, that would have been unthinkable. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that, you know, I mean, come October, November, when, uh, you know, if, if media endorses an incumbent member of Congress, the, the howls that are going to come from the challenger about, well, they bought your endorsement, you know, with voting on this relief yeah. fund. It's, it's, it's just going to be. Well, the, the good, the good news is, is that no matter who we endorse, we will be attacked. So, you know, <laughs> this is just one more arrow in the quill. So, okay. <laughs> it's, you know, it's good to know there are some constants. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Coronavirus or not, we can count on that. <laughs> Well, on the other side of this uh, sort of equation, Democrats will choose their Ernst challenger in the June 2nd primary. Uh, Teresa Greenfield has sort of been anointed by Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer and Democratic groups in Washington. Um, The race has gotten a little more chippy as we get closer to the primary. Um, All or several of Greenfield's rivals, uh, most notably Eddie Morrow, are, are accusing her of duplicity because she brags about not taking PAC money but at the same time is getting support from PACs um, through various avenues. Uh, Morrill criticized Greenfield for accepting support from leadership PACs that include money from tobacco, fossil fuel, big pharma, and big ag interest. Aaron, do do, uh, Greenfield's rivals have a point or are they looking at polls and throwing everything at, at Greenfield in hopes that something will stick? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and, and we've we've seen this uh, debate before and a little more in recent years as you see more and more um, people, candidates making this um, no pack money pledge. Um, and, and, and that is one thing, you know, the candidate doesn't take pack money, but there's that separate issue that you talked about of packs that just operate on their own and, and support a candidate. And of course, then the easy and queued up response for any candidate is to say, well, that uh, we can't coordinate with them. I don't coordinate with other PACs. Uh, we have nothing to do with that, um, which to what it should be true. I mean, legally they're not supposed to. So, um, you know, I don't, and it's, a, to be honest, I don't know at the end of the day, if this is maybe an issue that um, moves voters, maybe in a democratic primary, it gets a little, um, or um, attention than in a general election. Um, but yes, I, I also think that um, the other candidates in this race um, see Teresa Greenfield as, um, if not the leader, you know, one of the strongest in this race, certainly just based on the support she's gotten, as you noted. Um, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel we I mean, the candidates obviously have their internal polling. We haven't seen any public polling that I'm aware of uh, mm, to help no. with the case. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Um, but but there's that very real possibility that they're seeing internal polls that show Greenfield in a good position, and, and they need to find a way to chip into that. And, and, and this is one way uh, they could do that. And like I said, maybe in a Democratic primary, that kind of argument gets a little traction with people. I, I honestly don't know that it, it's 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 a big deal, but uh, obviously uh, some of the campaigns feel it could be. Todd, at various virtual forums um, for these candidates, the Democrats, the hosts, have made a point of asking or telling the candidates to focus on policy and not attack each other. Um, are they trying to protect Greenfield? And is, is this a good strategy when you look ahead to the general election campaign? Well, I think they're trying to protect her from attacks that they feel like Joni Ernst can sort of pick up and dust off and, and utilize in the fall. I know that they, Eddie Morrow has been attacking Greenfield lately about her business background and a, a shopping center where some smaller businesses moved out to make room for an Aldi store. And there's been some charges and counter charges and denials within that. And that's, you know, that's one of those issues that comes back. I mean, if, if you can make an attack that says a candidate, you know, dissed small business owners in favor of helping a multinational grocery, multi-global grocery chain, then, <laughs> then that's, that could, that can hurt. That can, that can leave a mark. Uh, so I think that's part of it. Uh, and, you know, speaking of endorsements, uh, the register endorsed Michael Franken today mm-hmm. in this race, which made the Greenfield supporters I saw on social media very unhappy, but that was an interesting twist. Uh, I think actually, and I've interviewed Frank and he, he comes off pretty well as being a candidate that wants to focus on the issues. And so maybe that's that charmed the editorial board and, and he's got a lot of experience and background. So, and he was willing to meet with them, which is always helpful. So uh, it's interesting. I, I haven't seen any public polling. I don't know if, if any of you have that shows what this, the state of this race, I, I imagine that there's quite a few undecided still, but people are already voting, however, so maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I haven't seen any public polling. I, I've seen references to internal polling um, that, uh, you know, is always suspect, um, you know, because it's either saying, hey, look how good I'm doing in this internal poll or, ooh, look at our internal poll. We need to raise more money. Uh, so yeah. it's, always, it, it's always suspect. But uh, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen any polling since this is a race that Democrats are putting a lot of um, – uh, emphasis on because, uh, you know, it, it could change the balance, um, in the, in the U S Senate, uh, if they can pick up the seat in Iowa, but Hey, maybe we'll just have to wait until June 2nd. Um, <laughs> the only poll know, that maybe, matters. yes, the only poll that matters. And I don't know, <laughs> will we know the results on June 2nd or will, do we still have to wait for mail-in ballots to arrive? Hey, I, I'm just going to toss a quick thought in here. Um, Todd, mentioned um franken's endorsement he, i'm going to be really interested um it's next it's a week from now is the debate right jim a week from saturday yeah may 16th and 18th yeah. are two debates uh, yeah so i'm i'm going to be really interested to see that first one um i i and i had this thought because i had the same reaction as todd from when i've interviewed uh franken that he's uh definitely definitely a policy wonk kind of guy um, loves to talk about and get deep into the issues. And, and, and the problem always with those kinds of candidates is that doesn't translate 
as well to a campaign, you know, standing up in front of a bunch of people and getting them excited about voting for them, voting for you in, in the, in the few quick minutes that you have. Um, now this has been a different kind of campaign. We haven't had a normal campaign. Public events haven't really been a thing other than, you know, the few online, um, you know, zoom, uh, Mm-hmm. forums essentially so so i'll be interested to see how he translates to the debate stage and and um and how people react to him in that first debate uh, once they get a, a first real good uh look at him for that reason yeah i mean the whole sort of framework of this campaign because of the the coronavirus uh challenges it's going to be interesting to see how that affects things i mean uh you know, people haven't, you know, how important is personality if you can't go out and campaign? If right, right. Doing, you know, I mean, if you can, if you can talk a good policy uh, on a Zoom video, you know, maybe, maybe that's what the election will be about is policy instead of, you know, the personality and the those sorts of things. If you can't go out and, you know, uh, you know, stand next to the, the big boar at the county fair and do those sorts of things. What are we left with? I mean, boring old policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in the uh, you know, in the emails that I've received after writing that column, and some of the you know people I've talked to, I think one of the one of his stronger arguments is that he's the only candidate that isn't from Des Moines, and I just think right. there are a lot of Republicans outside Des Moines and the rest of the state that are wary of of you know they watched what happened to Fred Hubble and Jack Hatch and you know and, and some of these other candidates that have come from Des Moines over the years and they just haven't seem to connect out in the rest of the state uh, the way you would normally expect. So, uh, yeah, I think that's one of the things that people are looking at with him is that he's got that unusual. I mean, he grew up in near Sioux Center, which is, you know, as red a county as there is in the state. So that's that's, that's kind of a, a different kind of background for a, a statewide Democratic candidate. Right. Yeah. Well, Maybe uh, we'll be talking about him uh, after June second, or maybe, maybe not. But uh... <laughs> well, yeah, and if he, you know, if he doesn't win this this election, you know, this campaign is going to have an asterisk next to it. You kind of wonder what he might do next because he does have this sort of interesting bit, of, you know, big expansive experience, and sure. you might see him run for something else. Yeah, over there in the fourth district. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, after redistricting, you know, what's 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 any of this going to look like? Well, yeah, there, there's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. What will well, Iowa look like? Well, we'll have we'll have our a guest on named Jerry Mander to tell us yeah. exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, I threw Jerry Mander out. You know, it's. <laughs> Yeah, he's not I welcome so. here anymore. I hope he does not come here. I do. I hope he yes. stays away. Yeah. Go, go to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah, I think he's alive and well there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that does it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it was worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcasts at thegazette.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Solid Attitude will take us out. 
If you know of Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. <laughs>